Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Thank you for joining me for our Bible Thursday episode. Um, This week we're going through Exodus 8, and I'm going to recap a little bit of 7 just so we have context for where we are. But basically Exodus 8 through Exodus 33. This is, it was an interesting section for me to read. I got so frustrated with the Israelites because, I mean, you'll see in the summary, if you haven't read Exodus in a while, the Israelites forget about God's promises and all that he's done for them in like about every two seconds. And it's very, um, it must have been infuriating for God. And you can see like his frustration in part of this passage. But even I was reading and I was like, oh my gosh, he just did this whole miracle for you. Like, literally five minutes ago, and then you forget and go worship an idol or something. So anyway, we are going to be going through all of what the Israelites did. This one is more kind of broken down into like big chunks of text. So I'm not going to do probably as detailed of a summary as last week where there was kind of a new thing happening, like every chapter. This one is very like segregated into into big sections. So let's get into it and let's see why the Israelites are so frustrating. Uh, So basically in Exodus 7, where we left off last week, um, you know, the Israelites are, are slaves in Egypt. They're being mistreated and it's time that God is going to bring them out. So he said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. Go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go because they want to go worship God in the desert and leave for three days. Well, God chose Moses to do this, and but Moses can't speak very well. He has like a speech impediment or a stutter or something, and so he asks Aaron to help. So God treats him kind of as like a tag team duo in all of this, and they perform signs and wonders basically to prove that God is real and to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go worship. Well, Pharaoh's heart kept being hardened and it said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so every time they did a sign and wonder, basically the sorcerers of Pharaoh could also do that sign and wonder for a few of them. And so Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the people go. So in Exodus 7, we leave off with Aaron turning the the entire Nile into blood. And here's the interesting part. God always gives Pharaoh a warning. Like he always tells Moses or Aaron, go tell Pharaoh that if you don't let my people go, I'm going to turn the Nile to blood. And then he goes, no, I'm not letting your people go. And then he goes, okay. And then he, they turn it to blood. Okay. So we just left off on the turning it to blood. Pharaoh said, okay, turn it back to water and I'll let your people go. I'll worship God. And Moses says, okay. And as soon as he leaves and turns it back into water, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, and he does not let the people go. This happened 10 times, if you are aware of the stories of the plague. There were 10 plagues. So again, like, this was my first, a little mini frustration here, which I get it because um, God, you know, through the entire thing, the theme of this section is that God is showing how powerful he is and how he has the Israelites back. He won't stop fighting for the Israelites. So I think that a lot of this repetition is to convince the Israelites that he will carry them through. He will defend them, even if a lot of things are against them. So the whole play where 
where God says, okay, Moses or Aaron, go to the Pharaoh and tell him, I'm going to do this if you don't send, if you don't let my people go. Pharaoh always says, um, no, I'm not going to. Then God does the thing that he promised. Then Pharaoh says, this is terrible. Please take it away. Moses says, okay, I'll go talk to God and he will take it away. And then Pharaoh like goes back on his word and doesn't let the people go. And that happened 10 times. So it's very, very repetitive. The only difference was that it was a different plague every time. So the first one was blood, like we said in Exodus 7. Um, but then it goes frogs, gnats, flies, livestock. So like the, all the, most of the livestock would die. Um, boils on people's skin hail like the biggest hailstorm they've ever seen and most of the crops died it was interesting because hail they said um wiped out like almost all the crops except for one kind which bloomed later so those didn't really get destroyed because they weren't grown um but then the next one was locusts and they destroyed everything else that the hail didn't destroy plus like other trees that the hail didn't completely destroy so that one seemed really terrible. And then the next one was darkness, which is like even darker than night. No one could see each other at all. It's like kind of like blind, like they were blind, it sounded like. Um, but it was darkness over all the land. And then the last plague was the plague of the firstborn. So this is the night that the Passover happened with the firstborn uh, plague. So they said, okay, you know, again, like God warned Pharaoh every single time and said, if you don't let my people go, um, your firstborn will die. All of your firstborn will die. And he says, I'm not going to let you go, whatever, get out of my sight and never, I will never see you again. And Moses says, yes, I will never, you, you will never see me again, basically. So, you know, things are about to go down when Moses says, I will never see you again. It's like, oh, they're getting ready to leave. So they said in, I think it was like three days later, um, God says, okay, Israelites, basically this is the night that it's going to happen. So slaughter a lamb for just as much as you can eat, take the blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. When I pass over to kill all the firstborn, I will see the lamb on the lamb's blood on your doorpost and I will spare your firstborn. So that happened. All of the firstborn died in Egyptian houses. So the first, like every firstborn son, every firstborn livestock, like everything died that was the firstborn. And it said there was not a house with someone that had not died. There was someone in every single house that died. And so at that point, they heard loud wailing and crying all throughout Egypt because so many people had died. And God said, okay, now's the time. Get out. It was at the, like, at the stroke of midnight, he told them to get out. And um, then there was an interesting part where they said that God turned the hearts of the Egyptians, like, so, like he softened the hearts of the Egyptians towards the Jews. And he essentially, like, made them give uh, their silver to the Jewish people. Like, so it said they had plundered the Egyptians, but it was because the Lord had turned their hearts to the Jews. So the Egyptians essentially lost everything because they mistreated the Jews so badly and Pharaoh would not let the people go. Um, but it showed that God would fight for the, for the Israelites and he was protecting them. So he kept like, 
emphasizing the part about the unleavened bread, about eating unleavened bread to celebrate this night that the Egypt that he called the Israelites out <clears throat> out of Egypt. Because basically God said all the rules about Passover and then it said in the story that he told him to go. And so I was like, what does God have against yeast? Like, I don't get this. He says, don't use yeast so many times. But basically the yeast, like the having bread with no yeast to remember when God called them out was because he called them out so quickly they didn't have time to let their yeast rise or to prepare the yeast so they didn't use it and so they had unleavened bread and that's why in the Jewish culture when you celebrate Passover you have you eat unleavened bread with no yeast because it's a remembrance of this night which I think is very very cool and I also I knew this story but I didn't realize all the details there was a lot of I mean I didn't realize how frustrating it was to have the pharaoh like say no every single time after he had just said yes. And then as soon as the plague left, he was like, oh, never mind. And he just progressively kept wanting the slaves to be treated worse and worse and worse. And the Israelites were getting treated terribly, um, which is interesting later because they get so like another frustrating part of the Israelites is even though like when they're journeying out to the promised land, if anything goes wrong, they're like, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Like we should have died in Egypt. Um, I'll get there, but yeah, they were being treated horribly in Egypt. Just remember that. So then, um, as kind of like a, an opposite parallel, you know, an antonym, I guess, to all of the firstborns dying in Egypt, uh, God commanded all the Israelites to redeem and consecrate their firstborn and consecrate just means like clean and wash and get ready to present to the Lord. But you, basically what he wanted was to instead of like killing all the firstborn like he did the Egyptians he wanted all the Jewish firstborns to be dedicated to the Lord basically they were they were dedicated to him and following God and it, this was a symbolic sort of thing too because I looked up a bible commentary that was talking about this and um the theme of like giving your first fruits or your best like the choice sacrifices the choice animals um, all of that is kind of very, I mean, that's a theme throughout the entire Old Testament. Um, and so that's why he had them dedicate their firstborn because it's like bringing your first fruits to God. Okay. In Exodus 14, it's talking about, um, how it talks about the parting of the Red Sea. And so basically they had escaped Egypt in the night. The Israelites did the Lord was leading them through the land. Um, and basically, basically the Lord said to turn back to camp and like turn around so that the Pharaoh would think that they're confused about where to go. That he thinks that they were like hemmed in by the desert. And so the Pharaoh will pursue. And, you know, he told this to Moses. So Moses kind of knew the plan, but the Israelites just saw Pharaoh coming and pursuing to attack them. And they were very terrified. And this is like the first time where they say, um, where they stopped trusting Moses. So Moses had led them out. They were all on board. They all decided to go. Then one thing goes wrong where, you know, Pharaoh pursues them. And then they said, oh, Moses, what did you do to us? Like, what have you done? And now they don't trust them. They don't trust Moses or God. So then God says, why are you crying out? Basically move on, divide the sea. He tells Moses to divide the sea. So 
in earlier in the Bible, they're being led through this land by a pillar and an angel. And um, so the, the pillar and the angel are in front of them and they're getting led. When they reach the Red Sea, these uh, the pillar and the angel go behind them and basically shield them from sight of uh, Pharaoh's army because it's also dark at night. So they're just like stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Israelites and they're illuminating only the Israelites side. So only the Israelites can see what's happening. And God blows a very, very strong wind that goes through the Red Sea and divides it in half. This is like a very classic story, but um, I always thought that they were racing each other towards the Red Sea. The Egyptians were like cornered in and all at once, like in the middle of the daylight, Moses like stuck out his staff and the whole Red Sea divided. (laughs) But basically it was overnight. They were all, they were kind of like near each other. The two armies were, or I guess the Israelites weren't an army, but the two groups were near each other and it was a gradual divide over the course of a whole night. So then it was, while it was still nighttime, the, um, they walked through, the Israelites walked through and they got to the other side and at daybreak, the, um, Egyptians could see what was going on and they tried to pursue the Israelites through the divide of the Red Sea and at daybreak the sea went back and engulfed them. Okay, so I've heard this story many times, but I've heard a lot about kind of God's wrath in the Old Testament and all this. This is one of those questions where it leads to a lot bigger questions where I was like, okay, I get it that he's saving the Israelites, but why is he killing everyone else? Like why is God killing so many people in the Old Testament. That was confusing to me. So I looked up Bible commentary that I will link in the description as usual. And basically it did make sense to me. I think I want to do a little bit more, like, I think I want to do an episode at some point about God's wrath in the Old Testament as a whole, because right now I'm like focused in on such a small area of the Bible, um, which is good, but I think I need to look at, you know, a whole picture at some point as well. But basically what this Bible commentary said was that later in the New Testament, Jesus died to cleanse all of our sin. You know, the original sin, all of our, like, all of the sin of these people, every sin was put on Jesus, like from all time was put on Jesus. So he died to forgive sin. Well, in this time before Jesus, there was original sin and they didn't have Jesus to put all the sin on. So God wasn't going out of his way to like just murder people. He wasn't murdering righteous people. It was the fact that he could not as a perfect God permit evil to be allowed to reign free. And so um, these people chose to stray from God and there was nothing to put that sin on. And so it was justice Now we have Jesus and that sin is put on Jesus. And so that doesn't happen anymore. So that makes sense. Um, But again, this theme goes through the entire Old Testament and is like a huge theological question. And so I will, I do want to do a whole episode about like God's wrath versus justice. And some people get confused about like, is God actually sinless? Have you, you know, killed so many people? But Um, I think it does make sense, like, our sin is pinned on Jesus and their sin was pinned on themselves because they didn't have a sacrifice to put put their sin on. 
Okay, so then Exodus 15 through 17 is more grumbling by the Israelites, which was uh, so tiring to read. Basically, God was leading the Israelites through a desert. There was a song worshiping them. So they're they're worshiping one minute, and then God led them through a desert to water, and the water was bitter. So the Israelites are grumbling, oh, God's not taking care of us. We should have died, like we should have gone back to Egypt. Basically, God just told Moses to throw this special piece of wood into the water, and it was miraculously better. So, okay, another example of how God is taking care of the Israelites. Don't worry, they'll grumble again soon. (laughs) Right after that, they continued on. They came to a place with 12 springs of good water. So it was like just a little test that they kind of failed. And then they got to good water and plentiful water and all that. In Exodus 16, they start grumbling about food because they are starting to run low on food. Like the Lord won't take care of them. They say, if only we had died in Egypt, at least we had food in the pots. Even if we were getting treated horribly, at least we had meat. And so the Lord gave them quail to eat every night. And then he also made daily bread come down or like materialize on the ground. And all they had to do, he gave them very, very specific instructions. And I get, I mean, I can't be too hard on them because I'm sure I would have been the same way. But, you know, human nature is to hoard as much as you can um, if you get something. And so, but God gave very simple instructions. He said, I'm going to put out bread on the, you know, on the ground. I'm going to do it every single day. Now on days one through five, just, well, he said he's going to do every day except for Sunday. So he goes on days one through five, just go out and collect enough that you need, like only what you need, eat it all. Don't let any of it, you know, stay overnight. I'll do the same thing each day. Just get what you need. Only on day six do you gather double so that you don't have to work and go gather food on the seventh day, which is the rest day. So he's driving home the point of Sabbath here too. But it even says here, some people hoarded more food each night and whatever they was left over the next day would immediately become like infested with maggots. So that's a good lesson. But then even on the sixth day where they were supposed to gather double, some people tried and went, tried to go out and gather more food on the seventh day on the rest day. So they just seem very bad at following God's lead, even though he is so close to them. Okay. Uh, Exodus 17 is more grumbling because they move on. Uh, there's no water again. And God is very patient apparently because he was just like, okay, like Moses, take your rod and strike this rock and water will come out. And it provided water for them. So he's answered like five prayers at this point about he's going to take care of them. He provides bread for them every day. He's provided water. He's provided water, not only them just finding water, but in super miraculous ways. And every time they're like, oh, we should have just gotten back to Egypt. Like, what are you doing? But, you know, as, as, kind of frustrating as that is to read it is a good reminder because we are kind of the same way like we've seen God's promises so many times a lot of us in our lives and we sometimes just forget like we have short-term memories because God yeah God can deliver you God can make you a promise and sometimes we just lose sight of those promises over and over like how many times has God had to teach you the same lesson over and over I mean this seems pretty blatant because they can 
almost like see him. They see Moses who talks to God casually. And so it seems a little different, but it really is all the, the same at the end of the day. Like we're all flawed and we all have to get taught these lessons so many times. And God, I'm sure, feels the same way about us sometimes as he did the Israelites. So um, then we have like an aside almost in Exodus 18 where Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, he comes and he advises him on how to set up a hierarchy of judges. So Moses is the judge of the Israelites. So if there's any like dispute or anything, um, he, the people come to him and he decides. Well, Jethro, <clears throat> Jethro realized that that is too much work for one person. So he helps Moses set up like a hierarchy of people that are, you know, in charge of like a hundred people and then a thousand people and whatever in a step up to him. So, um, Moses only has to deal with the big cases. So it's like a very practical little aside in this whole story. Okay. From Exodus 19 to 31. So a big, big section in here, it is setting up the, um, mosaic law. Which the Mosaic Law is like the Ten Commandments, but then it also has a lot of civil laws and ways of acting between people um, that are, it's just a lot of rules about how to behave, especially with each other. And it's going to set them up for success in living in this new, in the promised land when they get there. So um, in Exodus 19, they get to the desert of Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. There's a lot that happens in here, but basically... He um, gets the Ten Commandments, which I will just recap real quick. The Ten Commandments are no other gods, have no other gods before me, do not make an image or bow down to fake gods, don't have an idol. And I, again, want to do a whole episode or maybe just like a five minutes of fun sort of, nah, I want to do a whole episode where this one is very interesting and I have a feeling that it it has to do with like translational differences and stuff because the second commandment is do not make an image or a fake God, or I've heard don't have other idols before me. But the translation I read in the NIV specifically said, do not make an image and bow down to it. Now I know that Catholics, um, so, okay. I think I've mentioned this before, but for Catholics at Catholic weddings, they have, you know, a statue of Mary and they go and bow at the statue of Mary and give her a gift. Now, some other translations of this commandment say don't make other gods and worship them, which Catholics are not doing by by giving Mary a gift. Like the intent of that is to not worship Mary. It's to ask her to pray for you. I definitely know the, I, I think I know the Catholics, um, I guess rebuttal to that. I want to dig into that passage a little bit more in the original like language because I don't, I want to know more what it means when it says do not make an image. Inherently is a statue of Mary wrong? Uh, Right now I don't think so because they they don't treat her as God. Um, But yeah, so that'll be an interesting discovery later. Um, Okay, the other commandments are don't misuse uh, his name, like don't use it in vain keep the Sabbath day, honor your father and mother. Um, and honor your father and mother is linked to a promise. It's the only one that's linked to a promise, which is, and you will live long in the land that I have promised you. So, 
Um, that one is linked to a long life. Uh, number six is do not murder. Number seven is no adultery. Number eight is don't steal. Number nine is don't give a false testimony slash lie. And number 10 is do not covet your neighbor. Then he has a... So then after the Ten Commandments, he gives uh, Moses a lot of rules about just different ways of treating each other, like as the Israelites. So he talks about like servants and freeing them after six years. He talks about laws on personal injury, like if you cause harm to someone else. Um, he talks about property laws, social responsibility, which one of the things in the social responsibility category was do not allow a sorceress to live, um, which is very um, harsh, which everything was pretty harsh in here. A lot of things are punished by death. But basically, again, I sound like a broken record. I want to do an episode about this, about what sorcery is defined as and what and what it is basically because I was never allowed to watch Harry Potter growing up because it was like wizardry and sorcery and stuff and witchcraft. Um, now I don't know if that's like the same thing as how it was defined in the Bible and in biblical times. So I think it would be an interesting discussion because a lot of my Christian friends have no problem watching Harry Potter, even though it is witchcraft because it's like fake, you know, it's a movie I have always had a problem with it because it's like, I don't care if uh, witchcraft or sorcery is in a movie, but it's presented as evil. My problem with Harry Potter is that the witchcraft and wizardry stuff is presented in a favorable light. And so it gets very gray. It's a very gray area. Um, But I would like to do a whole episode exploring that because I do know a lot of people with differing views on it. Okay, Exodus 22 also says to not gouge the poor with interest. Oh, wait, I forgot a very interesting, funny part of this. In Exodus 17, after like the eighth time that the Israelites have grumbled, um, the Amalekites come and attack the Israelites. And during the battle, Moses goes up to this specific rock and he... (laughs) I don't know. He realizes that if he is raising his hands over them, like kind of like a he's blessing them, if he's raising his hands, the Israelites start winning. But if he lowers his hands, the Israelites are losing. So Moses, Aaron, and Hur, and that's his other brother. Aaron is his brother, and then Hur is his other brother, went up to the hill. They realize this, that if his hands are out there winning, and so Like Moses has to keep his hands out the entire time so that the Israelites overtake the Amalekites, but his hands get tired. So it talks about how Aaron and her go and prop up Moses's hands. So they're always outstretched to the Israelites so that they win and they eventually do win. But it reminded me of this story. Well, no, it reminded me of this game. It was a Super Bowl game. And when was this? It was like probably when I was like, hmm. I was probably like 17 or 18. It was one of the years that the Broncos won the Super Bowl. But I remember that during the Super Bowl game, I at one point like got, I think I was getting up to go let out our my parents' dog. And right when I got to the front door, the Broncos like scored a touchdown or made like a really great play. And so I, and then when I got down, when I sat down, um, they 
like lost or they did some really bad play. And so my dad was joking that I like, I was only, they only won if I stood right by the front door. And so for, I remember for like a decent part of the game in high, whenever there was like a high pressure situation, I would just like get up and go stand by the front door and it worked. They won. So, um, yeah, same thing with Moses. He had to have his hands outstretched towards the Israelites for them to win, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, okay. Back to the other chapters of Exodus. We're at Exodus like 23. This whole section, like I said, up until chapter 31 is all about the rules. So very, very briefly, I'll go over what they uh, were. Um, Exodus 23, just some of the highlights was don't gossip, which um, has is always, you know, kind of a struggle. Uh, don't show favoritism in a dispute just because someone is um, letting the land rest on the seventh year. I want to look up if people still do this, but they say the best practice is to let the land rest on the seventh year. This is one of the many times that God brings up the Sabbath in this, but one of the laws is is to have the Sabbath so that the, the servants can also rest on the seventh day and get the rest that they needed. So a lot of these, I mean, there are a lot of laws about servants, but a lot of them are also about treating them like pretty fairly, it seems. He commands them to celebrate three festivals. One is the unleavened bread to celebrate Passover, which they already talked about. One is in the summer and one is in the fall to come together and offer the um, first fruits, um, and then to celebrate the harvest. There's a thing talking about like sacrificing the animals, how to sacrifice them. And the translation that I read it in originally said, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. And so I, I was like freaking out. Cause I was like, is this a problem? Like were people boiling children in their mom's milk? But turns out it is a talking about a goat and, um, apparently though it was a problem. This was like a common practice and there were a lot of reasons, um, people theorize as to say why not to do this, but it was a pretty common practice in that day. Some people suggested it was like an occult practice to, um, boil a baby goat in its mom's milk as like an occult thing to make the land more, um, fruitful. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to not do this, but I'm, I was glad to hear that it was about a goat and not a person because <laughs> that was kind of concerning. Okay, so then Moses wrote down this entire law that he was just given. So he said, climb the mountain with the elders. Moses wrote down this whole law. Um, he made an altar up, up on that mountain, um, made a sacrifice. He put half the blood in bowls and threw it on the altar as like a sign that he was making a covenant with God. And then he went down and said, Hey, to the people, here's all the rules. And they said, okay, we want to follow God. We want to follow the rules. And he splattered the rest of the blood on them, which was shocking to me, but, um, that is what they did as a symbol of a covenant. So then, um, Moses then climbed the mountain even more and, God gave him tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. It was literally written in stone. And he was he went up into the mountain for 40 days. When he was up there, there were also other rules all about the tabernacle. So Exodus 25 through 31 is all about the building of the tabernacle. And it reminded me a lot of Noah and the building of the ark. It was very, very specific. There were dimensions. There were like specific fabrics to use. It was like the whole layout was decided. And so there were rules on the offerings. Um, you had to have make a chest. 
He told him to make lampstands, um, a dwelling place uh, that with like tapestries around it, an altar, a courtyard. Um, he went through how to choose priests, what priests should wear, all of the articles of clothing, which includes like many, many articles of clothing. Uh, he went over this, the ceremony to consecrate priests, to like cleanse them, um, which included pushing or placing their hands on the head of an animal. And I read this whole thing. This was a long time ago, but it was confusing about what the purpose of that was to just place your hand on the top of an animal. But in this covenant before Jesus, they would lean their whole body in and put their hand on. And it was basically a transfer of sin between their body and the animal's body. So they would put their sin basically in the animal and then sacrifice the animal. And that was how priests were consecrated. Then they would be anointed. There were a lot of rules about the ceremony to make a priest a priest. Um, but he chose Moses, Aaron, and then Aaron's sons to be the first priests. There was also an altar for burning incense. And there was an atonement tax, which I thought was kind of interesting because God really set it up like so that there wouldn't be as many fights and stuff later because this atonement tax is actually kind of smart. Um, everyone had to pay like a certain amount of money. There was no one that had to pay more or less, even if you were poor or rich. Everyone just paid the same amount of money. It was a small amount that was called the atonement tax because basically it got collected for like the maintenance of the tabernacle. So I thought that was interesting that they, this is where we see taxes. Okay, then 31 is actually, um, it is about the tabernacle, but it, he specified, God specifies the two people that he chooses to be craftsmen for all the things in the tabernacle um, because there's some like very detailed things that God would like in the tabernacle. And he told Moses the two craftsmen that were like to be in charge of the tabernacle building. Part of this law, and I, I've said it before, but part of this law that God presented was to um, keep the Sabbath. He said, above all, keep the Sabbath. And I really need to do better at this, I realized, as I was reading this. I didn't realize how big of a deal the Sabbath was. Honestly, I forgot that it was one of the Ten Commandments. And second of all, he reiterates it so many times. Everything has a rest day. So the land does, the servants do. He wants everyone to keep the Sabbath. Above all, keep the Sabbath. And I feel like I keep the Sabbath because we, I pretty much stay home on Sundays. Like um, my husband and I just kind of like hang out and it's our slow and relaxed day. But by slow and relaxed, it means we're just at home. But a lot of times I realized I am working. I'm working on something. I'm working on the podcast or I'm working on actual work or I'm just like busy all day. And it's not truly a day of resting a lot of times. And so I need to get better at that and make like a concerted effort to actually take a day that is just rest because God makes a huge deal about that in, in this uh, passage. Okay, then we're to the grand finale of this section that we're reading today, and that is Exodus 32 through 33, which is just, I mean, I've said it before, the Israelites were frustrating, but this is by far the most frustrating thing. It's crazy how fast they forget about God's promises, because they had been told to not worship any gods, like, other than God, you know, half a second ago, they just said 
that they would not worship other gods. But Moses went up to the mountain to learn all these new laws and all this stuff. He was gone for 40 days, okay? So he went up to the mountain and said he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, then it flashes back to the people at the bottom of the mountain, the rest of the Israelites, and they say, we don't know what happened to Moses. Like, we don't know where he is. And then he tur- they turn to Moses' his brother and say, Aaron, can you make us a, an idol, a god, so we can worship them? And um, so we can worship this, the god? Because, we, yeah, we don't know where Moses went. And Aaron was like, okay, sure, just bring me all the gold. Like, bring me all your earrings and stuff. And he melted it down and made a golden calf as an idol, put it on an altar, and sacrificed it to the calf. Now, remember, Aaron is the one that struck the blood in the Nile. He knows God is real. And then Aaron even says, okay, this is your God of Israel, the golden calf. Worship it. And and he did the sacrifice. So even Aaron, who is Moses' brother, who talked to the Pharaoh about letting them go and had all these promises, like if anyone knows better, it should be Aaron and Moses. Moses does know better, thank goodness, or else they would be just doomed. But Aaron immediately goes and makes an idol and then sacrifices to it. So then it's kind of funny because then it flashes back up to the top of the mountain and uh, God's like, hey, Moses, you better go down there. People are like the Israelites are already worshiping a golden calf as an idol. And he goes, just go down. I will let my anger burn. He was going to destroy the Israelites because of all the sin. And... Moses said, Moses basically reasoned with God and said, don't, you know, don't, um, don't kill them. Um, and he, he essentially interceded on their behalf and, and said for God to have mercy on them. But then when Moses went down to the bottom, he said he was filled with rage and threw the tablets, broke them in half. And then he, um, he basically said, anyone who wants to serve the Lord, come here. And they ended up killing the other people who did not want to serve the Lord. So, um, yeah, that was the the story with the Israelites. It was crazy how fast they turned. I mean, it was a month. Like, it was just over a month. And they were like, well, let's just make an idol. And Moses and, uh, Moses and, uh, and Moses's own brother was, like, a key player in that. And Moses actually asked him, what did they do to you that you led them to such sin. And I actually talked to, talked about this on my Bible study or in my Bible study um, this week is we were talking about like relationships and how to edify each other and spur each other on and stuff. But it was pretty humbling because, you know, the Bible says to not let your brother stumble or do not lead him to stumble and to instead like sharpen each other and to encourage each other and stuff. But it is a little humbling sometimes when you realize that you have been the friend or you have been the person leading other people to sin. I feel like when you're not um, running after God, you are naturally the person that's that may be leading someone else away from God. And I know I've done that a lot, especially in college, but this is a perfect example. Aaron lost sight of God, of who God was, and at any like, small urging of the people, he then led them into great sin because he forgot God's promises and got what God had done. <clears throat> so good life lesson to remember to keep, if, to keep your eyes on him so that you don't lead others into great sin. 
Then in Exodus 33, which is the last one we'll go over for today, um, it tells how God and Moses talk to each other in the tabernacle like old friends. Um, and basically God, uh, Moses asked God to go with him as they go to the promised land. God said that they would, and he would forgive the Israelites of their stubbornness. So he does recognize the Israelites are very stubborn. Um, and then Moses asks to show, Moses asks God to show him his full glory. And God said, no one would basically see my face and live. And so he can see some of his glory, like his, like of behind him, he can see some of his glory, but not the whole thing because no one can see his face and live. So that is the section of the Bible we are reading today for um, Exodus 8 through 33. Um, again, it was pretty confusing, but it ties into way bigger biblical uh, themes, which I'm starting to get a good picture of. But it's definitely going to take a few more books, I think, of the Bible to get all the examples and be able to do it like a full episode on God's justice, you know, in the old Testament versus like putting that sin on Jesus in the new Testament, because, um, yeah, that's a really interesting distinction that I think is important to, to recognize. So, um, again, thank you all for joining me this week. If you want to join in and follow along and read with me next week, we are going to be going over Exodus 34 to Leviticus 17 it's going to be a lot more rules, I think, because I remember reading Leviticus a while back and it was like all rules about sacrifice. So um, I'm hoping to get into some other commentary, like during the kind of rules part of it and um, get into some deeper, like full Bible themes uh, for next week. So we will see how that goes. If you want to read along again, that is Exodus 34 through Leviticus 17. So thanks everyone for listening and I will see you on Monday for a new episode. See everyone. Hey, so this is me editing the podcast the day after and I was listening to it back and I wanted to clarify two things. One, the tabernacle is portable and it's a place where God is going to dwell. A tabernacle means a dwelling place and that is because Jesus cannot dwell God can't dwell in our hearts yet uh because Jesus hasn't come so that is why they have to construct the tabernacle um so anyway didn't make that super clear the other thing was uh I know I talked a lot about like the justice of God and how um he can't permit evil and stuff but the part where um God says hey go back down the mountain your people are um, worshiping a golden calf, Moses talks to God and intercedes for his people and God actually forgives him. So God is not going to kill them. Moses on his own, when he actually sees what they're doing, gets so angry that he's the one that tells them to kill all the, like all of their brothers and neighbors and stuff. And so that is more of an example, not of God's justice because God already forgave them and was compassionate to them. That is like more of an example of where humans can have it go wrong, where God has forgiven them, but Moses got so mad that he ordered that killing. So it shows humans flaw more in that story than it does like anything about God's justice. So just wanted to clarify those two points. Now have a great week. See you Monday. <laughs> 
that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. And I would really appreciate if you would go rate and review this podcast on the Apple store. That is going to be how we continue to grow our millennial learns family and community. So come back every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for a new episode and DM me any questions on Instagram. It's at a millennial learns. Go check me out. Follow me, DM me questions you have about this episode or any future topics you would like to see me dive into. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I will see you Monday. Thank you.